When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Well, I spoke too soon about Brent Hobbs being so devoted to his guest spot on this show that he was going to step away from church to join us because he's not hopped on the Zoom link. He's not with us now. He may have chosen God over us, which is very disappointing to me personally. But maybe he'll still join us. Who knows? Hope to have Brent Hubs from BallQuest.com join us soon. Paul, we were uh, talking during the break. I wanted to get to this earlier also. Uh, Paul George is one of the last COVID casualties that I can remember in sport. He is out tonight, COVID positive, for the play-in game against the New Orleans Pelicans for the Los Angeles Clippers. This badly Killing hurts. a dream. Badly hurts my chances of that rematch with Patrick Beverly and all that trash he talked to go against the Clippers again later in the playoffs. Who knows? Maybe they surprise you and, uh, and do things anyway. Uh, that, wouldn't that be awesome? It's the Pelicans, right? That's not a ferocious uh, uh, contender here. Uh, no, but uh, without Paul George, yeah, uh, the, the, the Clippers also showed Clippers. against Minnesota probably not the most ferocious of contenders either. But either way, um, no Paul George for the Clippers. We have Brent Hubs. Look at that. Brent Hubs stepping away from church. Where's the stained glass? Uh, a holy man, Brent Hubs, on with us now, uh, joining us on this Good Friday. Brent, how are you? I'm good. I'm channeling my inner Tim Berry for the Vol Network to engineer for uh, an outdoor church service here. So we're getting set up. But I'm great. Hope you guys are doing well on this Good Friday. Doing great. Uh, and you sound great also. So I appreciate you uh, hopping on with us. So big news this week, Brent, Tennessee for a second straight year is opting to go to the Thursday night opener as opposed to a Saturday game. I'm sure that you hear from a lot of season ticket holders that get very upset when this happens because they like their games on the weekend. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's great for everybody. If you're traveling from hours away, uh, it's a challenge because you've got to take a couple of days off. I know it's a holiday weekend, but uh, it's not the start of the weekend. So you've got to take Thursday at least a half day off and then take Friday off b- before uh, you can get to Knoxville. So I think for a lot of people who are traveling a good distance, Saturday is a much better fit. I think Saturday is more natural to everybody. Everybody's more comfortable with Saturday. But, um, you know, th- this is kind of the common theme. You look at it, this is six times this has happened in the last uh, 10 or 11 years. Uh, going back to that NC State game where Tennessee played a, a, on a non-Saturday. Uh, so it's become commonplace. From a coaching staff standpoint, they probably like it because Pitt's playing on Thursday night, so both teams will get the same number of days of prep. So it's not a situation where Pitt plays on Thursday, Tennessee plays on Saturday, and Pitt, quote, has two extra days to get ready. Um, so, you know, those are some of the variables. For, for people who called hotels yesterday, I don't think the hotel group in Knoxville knew this was coming. So if you called and booked a room yesterday on Thursday night, you probably got the cheapest game night hotel room in Knoxville you've ever gotten in your life. Uh, but, but again, it, it is a bit of an inconvenience for people who have to travel a, a long distance. But 
Um, this is the, this is TV, this is college football. And, uh, I, I think this is quite frankly, the way of the world. And, and Tennessee has obviously shown they're not hesitant about playing on a non-Saturday night. Brent, Tennessee got some good recruiting news today. Trevor Duncan, local kid uh, from Knox Catholic, has committed to Tennessee. Uh, when you look at what Tennessee is doing now in state in this recruiting cycle, what, what jumps out to you? Just the success that they're having. I know it's early, and we'll see how they finish. Can they get a guy like Caleb Herring in the boat, Bryson Sanders, and some of those guys? This year is not as deep as it's been in years past. But Tennessee's doing a good job in state. It shows the effort they put in state over the course of the last year. Uh, the timing for a coaching change wasn't great last year because you had a really nice in-state class last year that Tennessee couldn't take advantage of because of the coaching change. And uh, now you're seeing the fruits of the labor of having these guys on campus multiple times and the work that this staff has put in. You talk to Trevor Duncan, he talks glowingly about Rodney Garner and the effort that Rodney Garner put into recruiting him. Same for Nathan Robinson. Uh, and, and the list goes on and on. So uh, th this staff is making Tennessee a priority. They've developed relationships. They've worked relationships, not just with players and parents, but with other key people in the state of Tennessee. And it's paying dividends for Tennessee. So that it's a solid thing. I mean, both of these kids, the, the two latest guys they got, Nathan Robinson and Trevor Duncan, are both big-bodied athletic guys who, who will start out on defense. Both of them may end up being really good defensive linemen if they end up, and, and it doesn't work that way. It wouldn't be a shock if they got moved to another position. I mean, Trevor Duncan's six six and a half and 280 pounds and doesn't look close to 280 pounds. He is going to be a large, large man after the nutrition bar and, and the weight room at Tennessee, for sure. The defense uh, has done a good job of finding the end zone in these scrimmages, but uh, that always raises a question like what's good for the defense is bad for the offense. So uh, how do you spin it? Like great job by the defense, but has it meant bad things for the offense or is the defense making some great plays? Well, I mean, I think that you, you got to couch a little bit who's on the field. I mean, a couple of those situations in this, in the snow scrimmage, as I'm dubbing it last Saturday, <laughs> you um, love that, was, was a situation where, uh, you were not playing with your first team or even your second team. You, you had third-string quarterbacks in, and uh, you had some guys in who probably aren't going to factor in this fall, and, and that contributed to a, a, some things a little bit. They did record a safety this past scrimmage, uh, going back to yesterday, and, and I think that was just you know offensive in, offensive line interior not getting it done coming off the goal line. So um, you, you know I think that this offense has got to get settled. Uh, on the offensive line, they're in pretty good shape, but they, you know, they need Cooper Mays. They've been trying to work some other guys just to develop depth, but they're solid with who they're starting for their five are. They still got to find that left tackle situation, get it resolved. And I think the positive is defensively guys are making plays. Elijah Simmons, Dejon Terry, some of these guys that Tennessee desperately needs to make some plays are making plays, which is a positive thing for Tennessee. What are the chances, Brent, you talked about left tackle and figuring that out, that Tennessee goes to the transfer portal post-spring practice to find some help at some different spots like an offensive tackle. Um, obviously, you want to prevent guys in position of need that leave where you're thin at some spots. Someone's going to leave post-spring. We know that, but the hope is it's at a position that you're okay. Um, what do you think about Tennessee diving back into the transfer portal waters post-spring? Well, I think you'll see them actively there. I think it depends on who's available. Uh, you know, from a tackle position on the offensive line, is there a guy that they like in the portal 
that, that's good enough to help you. We know they'll take Brew McCoy, the receiver who's transferring from USC, if he wants to come. Uh, they will certainly take a defensive back if they find a guy who can help them, particularly a corner. Um, you know, I don't know that they're going to go with a running back. I don't know that they feel like they need a running back. It's probably down the priority list a little bit. If there was a linebacker in there that could help them, they would go there. And I don't think they would turn down a defensive lineman. But I don't think they're going to take guys just to take guys. I don't think they have to necessarily. It's not like you're sitting there with nobody and you've got to take somebody to have a, a warm body to give you a chance. Yeah, they're thin in some spots. That's a bit of a concern. But I don't think you want to take a guy just to take a guy. We saw that happen a couple of years ago with, with guys like Mondre London, who's a, who was a nice player, but he wasn't better than what Tennessee had. That cost you a scholarship the next year. He wasn't worth taking. Um, and I'm not trying to be critical of the kid. He just didn't help the team. And so I think that you want to be selective. But I do think you'll see Tennessee actively recruiting guys in the portal if they're guys they think that can help them this fall on this football team. Brent, what do you think about it? I know it's very early, but ESPN had their football power index rankings. They had nine SEC teams in the top 25. Tennessee wasn't one of them. Um, did that surprise you at all to see that? Yeah, it did. I think it was a more of a surprise that somebody had nine teams on their power index in their top 25. I mean, this is this is the best conference in college football, in my opinion, but I don't know that it's nine. Yeah. You know, I don't know that there's that many that need to be in the top 25. And Auburn was there won't be. <clears throat> Yeah, there won't be nine teams in the top 25 uh, this fall when you look at the rankings out there. But if you're Josh Heupel, you love it. You love people just kind of disregarding you and, and not putting a whole lot of stock in you. You, you love the opportunity to, to sell that to your team. Um, you know, us against the world, everybody's kind of you know, counting us out or nobody thinks much of us. Uh, I, I think that's a great setting for, for Tennessee. And so you want as much of that as you can get. Because let's face it, some people are going to have Tennessee ranked probably too high. You know, they throw all these things out early, but somebody's probably going to have Tennessee overranked, which you're going to have to deal with as well. But uh, if you're Josh Heupel, you're going to lean on that one and say, hey, nobody respects you. Nobody thinks you're very good. Let's go to work. So, Brent, the last week and a half or so, you've had Dabo Sweeney and now Nick Saban come out questioning the NIL process and talking about, you know, programs just now buying kids and how that's harmful for the future of the sport. Um, I don't know that anything that he said is wrong in his statements, but it's always going to come across as whining a bit for someone that's had the success uh, of Nick Saban. W what did you make of his comments? And when he talked about you know programs buying players, I didn't immediately think about Tennessee as much as I immediately thought about an SEC West rival in Texas A&M that he probably was thinking about when he said that. What did you make of Dabo Sweeney's comments, especially about transfer portal, followed up by what Nick Saban had to say? Well, I mean, I think Nick Saban probably carries a little more juice because of his success, and he's not a guy who just makes remarks. I mean, Dabo Sweeney's not been happy about a whole lot in, in football for the last couple of years. So I, I think Nick Saban's stuff probably gets a little more attention, carries a little more weight. Uh, I, you know, I don't love everything about the NIL world, but I didn't, I didn't pass the rules. You know, uh, if you don't like it, take it to the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, get on the NCAA because they didn't have a better plan. Uh, their, their, their plan was, let's hope the court rules against it so we're okay. They didn't. And now we're in a world where 16 states, I think it's going to go to 20 pretty quickly, are saying high school seniors can make money now through NIL. Arch Manning can make as much money as he wants to make for his senior season of football in Louisiana. I mean, he, he can endorse any product he wants to endorse 
nationally or in the state of Louisiana and can get paid now. And so, I mean, it's a, it, the, the toothpaste is out of the tube, the train's down the track. I mean, it's not going to change. And so you better adapt to it or, or you better, you know, take a step back or you, or you better find someplace, something else to do. I mean, listen, Roy Williams is not at North Carolina right now, not because Roy Williams was tired of the X's and O's coaching. He wasn't comfortable with NIL and the transfer portal. That's why he walked away from the game. You'll probably see some others walk away from the game because this is not the same college football we saw three years ago. And it's never going to be the college football we saw three to five to 15, 20 years ago. It's vastly different, and it's not going to turn around and go back the other way. Let's shift over to Hoop. Brandon Huntley Hatfield, um, there was some talk about maybe him moving on during the season. But then after the season, uh, he met with Rick Barnes and things uh, seemed to settle down. And now uh, he's on his way out. What, what unfolded? Uh, you know, that was a situation where after the first meeting, I think everybody felt comfortable with, uh, you know, kind of the expectations for Brandon this summer and what he needed to do to, to improve his game and to help this team and be ready to go in the fall. And I think Brandon went back and probably talked to some people around him and um, I'd say he probably talked to some, you know, third party people who said some other schools had some interest in you and, uh, they're going to let you do this and let you do that. And, uh, I think Brandon went back to, to coach Barnes for a second meeting and had some concerns about maybe how he was going to be used and how much he was going to play and this, that, and the other. And, uh, the two decided to, to, to go their separate ways. And the one thing you know about Rick Barnes is Rick Barnes is not going to compromise his culture. Uh, he's not. He's not going to promise anybody anything. You're going to have to work for it. Uh, and if you don't want to do that, then Rick Barnes is totally fine with you not being here. He did not want Brandon Huntley Hatfield to leave. He wanted him to stay. Feels like he's got a chance to be a really good college player and, and a pro player down the road with growth and development. But if he's not going to do it the Tennessee way, then there's not going to be a place for him. And I just don't think Brandon felt comfortable with the Tennessee way. Well, and Brent, you mentioned Roy Williams wasn't comfortable with transfer portal and NIL, and he retired for that reason. Rick Barnes strikes me as a guy who's probably not that comfortable with all this either. Uh, what do you say about Rick Barnes and his feelings about all of this? I've talked to him about the transfer portal, and I think that he doesn't love it, but he understands it. Uh, he grasps roster management and is okay with, with dealing with roster management. I, I think trying to figure out and understand NIL is a concern. But he's not alone. I think a lot of coaches are there. I mean, nobody really took a deep dive into figuring out what loopholes were going to be available to allow NIL to help you in recruiting. Uh, those who have figured it out have, have taken advantage of it. Everybody's trying to catch up now. Uh, you know, the initial thought of NIL was going to be these guys who were on your campus were making money, going to make money. It's trickled down into recruiting. And again, now that you can make money as a high school senior in a lot of states, it's only going to trickle down further into recruiting and more states are going to let high school kids make money and not be amateurs, if you will. Uh, so I think the NIL thing for all coaches is a greater thing to try to get your hand on. Uh, the portal and transfers has been, an, you know, transfer has been an epidemic for years. Now it's just you can be eligible immediately. Um, so you're just trying to roster manage now. It's a little more of a pro field that way. Uh, and I think Rick Barnes can, is okay with that. But the NIL is a concern, I think, for him and everybody around the country. Yeah, one more on Tennessee hoops. Who are they likely to add at this point? Because now with the departures on the roster, we know they have to add some people uh, to next year's team. So what's the most likely scenario with Tennessee basketball now moving forward in terms of who they add? 
Well, you got the Phillips kid who was committed to LSU, who's a high school kid, Julian Phillips. I think Tennessee's deep involved in that one. Uh, he visited Tennessee before he signed with LSU. Um, I think he's pretty comfortable with Tennessee, knows a lot about him. He's going to get back on campus, I think, at some point. We'll see. Um, the kid from Indiana State, whose name escapes me. Tyreek Key? Yeah, yeah, from yeah Key, that's the name. I, I wanted to call him Wes, but it's Tyreek Key. And he's going to visit um, in the next week or so to see Tennessee officially. He's got ties, obviously, to the state of Tennessee. He makes the most sense at this point. Um, then we'll see what happens after that. Don't be surprised to see Tennessee heavy in the international game. Uh, they've got some. They've got some guys on their staff who have ties to scouts and coaches, and, and you know, across the the pond, if you will, in Europe and other places around the country and around the world. So I think you'll see Tennessee active in the international world as well. I would not be surprised at all if they add a couple of international players to this roster to fill those spots. Um, the international players are being more successful. They're more physical. Uh, they're, they're playing much more of an American-style game now than they did 10 years ago. So the transition for a kid from the international pool into the college game is not nearly as significant as it was a few years ago. Well, Santi Vescovi, uh, Eves Pons, Olivier Kamwa, Uroš Plavsic. The international water has been pretty good to Tennessee so far. Brent Hubbs has been very good for us, always joining us every Friday from VolQuest.com. Brent, thanks so much. Enjoy uh, your Good Friday service tonight. Have a great holiday. Uh, thanks, guys. Happy Easter, everybody out there. Appreciate it. Same to you. That's Brent Hubbs, VolQuest.com. We'll shift gears. We'll talk NFL draft. Trevor Sykema is with Pro Football Focus, PFF, and he's going to join us next to break down first round of the NFL draft. That's coming up. This is Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. We are back, OutKick 360 across the OutKick network and live from our downtown studios, our 6th and Peabody broadcast studios with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer. It is festive here at 6th and Peabody on this Friday in the spring. Jacob Swanson, about to go get a pitcher of beer probably before the next segment, and I'm, I'm jealous of that. Um, Trevor Sykema is with us right now, pro football focus, to talk NFL draft. And uh, Trevor on right now from Tampa Bay, at Tampa Bay Trey, T-R-E on Twitter. Trey, uh, Trevor, appreciate you taking the time to join us and talk some draft, man. 
Yeah, appreciate you guys having me on. Great to have you. A guy who's getting a lot more talk than he was early in this process by people like you is Trayvon Walker, um, who maybe winds up a little bit like Jadavian Clowney in 2014. He only had nine and a half career sacks in college. Um, What makes him uh, a riser, if you will? I think there's a lot of things that go into it. I think that first and foremost, it's it's kind of a reflection on this draft class, right? If you take Trayvon Walker exactly as he is and you put him in last year's class, he's probably still more of a mid first round pick uh, because last year's class had a lot more talent or at least uh, a lot of people thought that it had more talent. They were willing to bet on, of course, the quarterbacks and all five of the quarterbacks in the top 15 certainly didn't hurt that. But when you look at this class and you say, okay, there's no – surefire number one overall pick or even groups of players that you really like, maybe it's best to take a chance on an athlete. And when I say an athlete, I mean truly a player that we've never seen before. Six foot five, 272 pounds, running a four, five, one, jumping 36 inches in the vert, a sub seven, three cone. I mean, just absolutely insane numbers, 80th and 90th percentile numbers across the board for height, weight, speed, explosiveness, agility, everything. This guy tested absolutely off the charts. And you go, okay, well then, where was the production? Why didn't he show up at college? Why did he only have a handful of sacks in his career? And you look at the role. He was asked to play in George's defense. It was a very specific role. It was a run-stuffing role. It was so a lot of the other linebackers behind him could stay clean, let guys like Quay Walker, like Nicobe Dean, like Channing Kendall be able to have those rush lanes to pursue those linebackers or to pursue those running backs. That's what Trayvon Walker's job was. And so very much a raw, inexperienced pass rusher, but he's somebody in a class where, like I said, there's not a consensus number one overall guy. Now that's why you're seeing him getting top three hype and potentially even number one overall hype is because some teams might say, hey, we'd rather swing for the fences. Trevor, I'm interested the way you describe Walker. You know, we had a chance to talk with Kayvon Thibodeau in L.A. at the Super Bowl. And he's a guy that's got all the athletic traits that you would want, right? There are some questions around him. How would you compare him in terms of athletic potential and ceiling and how high that ceiling is and how teams will value him towards the top of the draft for that very reason? Well, I think certainly uh, as a pass rusher, it's not even close. I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau has been a pass rush specialist since he was in high school. That's why he was a number one overall recruit. That's why he went to Oregon and he immediately started producing That's just what this dude does. And so if we're talking purely from a pass rush profile, it's they're not the the gap is so extremely wide between these two guys. Now, the reason why I think Trayvon Walker is getting more top three hype at this point than Kayvon Thibodeau is, is apparently because some teams aren't as in on Kayvon Thibodeau as maybe he is on himself. I don't know. I haven't had the chance to really sit down and get to know Kayvon myself. Uh, I was able to sit by his entire combine session uh, when he was at the podium in Indianapolis. And I loved what I heard from him. I really did. I didn't hear arrogance. I didn't hear over cockiness. I heard a guy who was very confident in himself, but that's what you want. That's what you want in these players. And so, you know, it just, you watch Kayvon's tape and he has such an understanding of what he does well, those speed to power moves, the, the, the one arm and then the dip rip and everything, man. I just, he, he has a pass rush arsenal. He has these moves that he goes, that he goes to, he likened his, 
pass rush ability to a game of chess, setting the offensive tackle up in certain ways to be able to go and attack him later in the game in other ways. And so it's just, they're, they're really not even comparable because of how much inexperience Trayvon Walker has. I think people just ultimately believe that Walker's athletic ability and his potential makes him a safer pick, better pick, higher pick. I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure which buzzword teams are using nowadays to describe why they take Trayvon Walker over Kayvon Thibodeau. I don't really understand it personally, but that seems to be where we are right now. Let me go local for a second. We're here in Nashville. The Titans need yet again a, uh, a wide receiver. Um, and they need speed. They need a vertical guy. They have for some time, but they don't like small guys. They, they have avoided smaller guys. Uh, they like big targets. Ryan Tannehill likes big targets, and, and they like thick, powerful guys who can block and, and be physical. So are they SOL at 26 if, if that's the resume they want based on the likelihood of who's going to be on the board when they're unlikely to look at somebody like Penn State's Dotson based on the size? No, I don't think that they're, I don't think they're SOL at all. In fact, I think that there are going to be two wide receivers that might fit the bill of what they want to fill that category in Christian Watson from North Dakota State University and George Pickens from Georgia. I think that both of those guys – bring that kind of alpha mentality and strength towards blocking, right? Because that's what the Tennessee Titans love. If you can't block as a wide receiver, you're not going to play for Mike Vrabel's team. I mean, that's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's why I love the, the Robert Woods acquisition by them. I think he is a perfect wide receiver for that system because he will block his ass off as well as be a really great receiver. Those two guys that I named, Watson and Pickens, they've got throughout their tape instances where they become – big impactful blockers and maybe 26. If you think it's a little rich for either of those guys, then okay. You can get a little bit further down the draft. The guy I really like is a John Mechie. I've, I've mocked him to the Tennessee Titans multiple times with his ACL tear and him recovering from that late in the season at the SEC championship game. You can afford to get him later in the draft, probably late round two, maybe sometime on round in round three. He's a guy who does a lot of the dirty work. He was able to get on the field for the Crimson Tide early in his career because he did the little things well, and that was often blocking. And I think that he's a guy who they're going to target there as well. So that's just a handful of names that they might be interested in, guys that might fill, fill their wide receiver profile. Is Watson going to take some time, given the the uh, North Dakota State resume and, uh, and and the caliber of people he's played against? And, and here in Nashville, a lot of people are scared of that because of what's happened with Dylan Radins. And I, I know he was coming off the COVID season where he didn't play hardly at all, but uh, that's going to strike fear in people's uh, in Nashville. Right. And that's kind of why I said like, Hey, if it's too early for him, then, then, you know, you might be able to find some guys later in the draft because I think that it, at 26 for the Titans, that is a little early for them. I, I really do for Christian Watson. I don't think that he's a first round wide receiver right now. Now he gives you a lot of great potential, right? How big he is, how strong he is, how good his run blocking is. And then you look at his athletic scores, the 40-yard dash, the explosiveness, the broad, the vert, all of that is fantastic. And you love what he's able to bring to the field with, with those athletic abilities. But there are things that you even see on his North Dakota State tape where ball skills deep down the field, tracking those deep balls, it's him separating from cornerbacks and then not being able to corral the ball in, bring it in, and really uh, secure those home run hits, if you will. So 
I think that ball skills are often something that we talk about with wide receivers that we just assume we go, yeah, he's a good wide receiver prospect. He's got great ball skills. That's not really the case. You, know, you look at a guy like Denzel Mims, who came out a couple of years ago from Baylor, played with the New York Jets, early second round guy. And everybody was like, oh, you know, this guy's going to be fantastic for him. Great athlete, really nice tape. He can't get on the field for the Jets right now because of the ball skills issues and what it was with him taking the jump to the next level. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I am a little bit worried. Well, worried is probably the wrong word. It's just going to take some time for Christian Watson, not just the bump up in competition level, but also the reps, making sure that he's improving his ball skills. And I think you might see a really good player from him if he goes to the right system year two, year three. Trevor Sikama, Pro Football Focus, our guest on Outkick 360. Trevor, spending time here and living in SEC country, I spend a lot of time watching SEC football, obviously. Spent a lot of time this year watching Arkansas Razorbacks football, and I love Traylon Burks as that big receiver. Um, I love talking to draft analysts, experts about this, because when I'm all in on a guy, I can ask you, what's something I shouldn't love about him? And you can give me a solid answer on that. So try to convince me why I should not love Traylon Burks going very high in this draft to someone. And Paul was asking about the Titans. If by some miracle he was there for the Titans, why they should not draft him in that spot? Well, I think the Titans would love him. I really do. So I, I don't know if he's on the board there. I don't know if I can make that much of a compelling case outside of maybe they want an offensive lineman over a wide receiver at that spot. But I think what's really bringing Traylon Burks down on some people's rankings as opposed to some of the smaller, quicker, faster guys is a little bit of a lack of flexibility with Traylon Burks. Yeah, you can play him in a lot of different spots, but he is, for as much as he is, is explosive in a straight line, it's the turning of the hips, it's the flexibility, it's stopping on a dime. He doesn't exactly have that. Now, you could look at his size profile and say, hey, he's six foot two, six foot three, 225 pounds. You can't ask him to be doing that same stuff that smaller wide receivers are doing. And I think that's the counter to that. But when I look at Traylon Burks and I kind of come up with that ability where it's like, okay, He's a really good linear explosive athlete, but I'm, I'm worried about some stiffness with him a little bit. Who else was like that? And I think a lot of people go to DK Metcalf. And the thing with DK Metcalf is he was better as a pure wide receiver than I think Traylon Burks is. I think Burks has been used more as an offensive weapon type for the Hogs offense. And we saw that everywhere. He was not only an X receiver on the outside, they were getting him in motion as a flanker. They were using him as a big slot player, plenty. They even used him out of the backfield as well. So he's a creative offensive piece, but he, he's not this traditional wide receiver that's going to work no matter what for every single offense. I think that that's where some people have some reservations where you look at a Chris Olave, you look at a Garrett Wilson, a Jameson Williams, you could basically plop them in any offense in the NFL and you know where they're going to win. You know exactly how they're going to succeed. Burks, it takes a little bit more creativity, I think, because he is more of a linear athlete than he is a horizontal kind of quick, agile, flexible one. And so what he brings to the table, extremely valuable. I really hope that he goes to a creative offensive mind. But if you're asking me to say, hey, why would I not be in love with this guy? That's probably the way I would explain it to you. Does Tyler Linderbaum have some guard potential and flexibility? I know ultimately you want him at center. Or is he coming to the league as strictly a center? Look, I, I'm, 
I'm torn here because the arm length and the overall size would tell you that this guy is not really going to have a lot of guard flexibility for you. Unless you are a true wide zone, stretch the field kind of a team that gets their entire offensive line moving at the, at the snap. His weight being around 290 is just not what you want to see from a guard and the arm length as well. He just does not have long arms. And I know guards normally don't have long arms, but Linderbaum's is even smaller than, than what you would, you would want. So that gives me hesitation, but he's just a damn good offensive lineman. Right. And there are some times when I just say to myself, like, Hey, the measurables, the testing, all of this, sometimes offensive linemen are just damn good offensive linemen. And I think that's the case with Tyler Linderbaum. I think you certainly want him at center, but I do think that there's a case where you could put some extra weight on him. You can get him a little bit closer to at least a 305, and you can get away with putting him at guard. I don't think that's his best position, but I think you can get away with it just because he is so good at that position because he's a lifer along the offensive line. He's got that wrestling high school background for the great core strength. He's got the good flexibility. He understands leverage. He's just such a really good offensive line prospect. But, you know, especially for you guys being in Tennessee, they're not going to want him at all. He's just, he's way too light for what they are wanting to do. They're going to want a bigger, stronger, more powerful guy at that interior. But if a team is committed to running a wide zone offense, especially their rushing attack, they might be interested in having a little flexibility with him. Trevor, we had this discussion earlier, and I want to bring you into the debate. Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis? All things being equal, you need a quarterback, doesn't matter the team. Who are you taking? I still think I'm taking Malik Willis. I really do, because the way that I look at Kenny Pickett, and I like Kenny Pickett, there's not a lot of things to hate about his game. But uh, to quote my good friend Mark Schofield, there's also not a lot of things to love about his game either. He is kind of this lukewarm quarterback who I think in a different quarterback class would be appropriately ranked and drafted more as a day two guy. Because when I look at Kenny Pickett, I see a skill set and I see physical attributes that tell me this is probably a quarterback that unless he has this Joe Burrow type of effect on a team, you're always probably going to be searching for his replacement. I feel like he's going to have a similar career arc to what we've seen from Teddy Bridgewater. He's going to be a starter on a handful of teams, but there's always every single team, no matter what's going to say, Hey, yeah, we like Teddy. We don't love Teddy. We're looking to upgrade from Teddy. We're still looking to find that franchise guy. And so that's what I feel. That's how I feel. Kenny Pickett's career is going to be in it. It, it, it comes out and it sounds like I'm being negative about him because we're talking about him as a top 15, top 10 overall pick. But in reality, in a regular quarterback class, we wouldn't be. I think that we'd be talking about him a little bit more appropriately. And Malik Willis, he has so far to go before he is a real, complete NFL quarterback. But at least the traits for Malik Willis are there. He's got the NFL arm. He has that mobility. He's a guy that his personality, man, you gravitate towards it. And I saw that at the Senior Bowl. I've seen it with Pro Days. I've seen it with what people have talked about. And I think that if you're trying to take a big swing at the bat in this class for a franchise quarterback, I'd be going Malik Willis, even though Kenny Pickett's got the higher floor. It always seems, Trevor, as we get closer to draft day, more and more mocks will start pushing quarterbacks closer and closer to the top. It's almost like they can feel that desperation of teams that need a quarterback, just like they're starting to feel that desperation also. Desmond Ritter is a name that I've seen creep up into the first round now as a take for someone that is quarterback desperate or quarterback needy. What do you think about the possibilities of Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati 
being a first-round pick? So I have Desmond Ritter as my top quarterback in this class. Wow. I have him as, and when you look at what he is able to bring to an NFL team, especially right now, he has the least amount of projection needed from this moment to whatever his first snap is going to be in the NFL. You look at his mechanics. They're very clean. He's got great footwork. He understands how to drive through his legs. He marries that with his upper body. He's got a good, uh, he's got a good release, a good throwing motion. All that is very clean. He manages the pocket extremely well. I think he's got a great feel for pressure. And he, and he is an offense in which he was, he was able to have experience going through full field reads, going through his first, second, sometimes third and fourth read. And he was able to operate in that kind of an offense. And so, you know, when you pair that with him being a taller quarterback, him having a bigger arm, him having some added mobility to him, I think that he has the least amount of projection to him for him to be a good pro at the NFL level. And so I've got him as my top quarterback in this class. I don't think he's going to be QB one off the board when it's all said and done, but I do think that he's going to be a first rounder. We do a lot of uh, sourcing here at PFF and we've got a lot of really great people that we talk to. And we hear that, okay, there might not be a lot of people that have Desmond Ritter as their top quarterback in this class, but there's a lot of teams that have Desmond Ritter as a first rounder as they believe to be a first rounder. And so I think that he is going to be, that third quarterback that we get in the first round this year. As you do uh, homework, reading, film study, and and look through, I'm sure, the mounds of research that PFF uh, provides for you, I'm wondering, recently, has there been a telling tidbit that's come across that's telegraphed something to you or, or given you a realization about somebody or something statistically? I think that... You know, age metrics is something that I'm always very fascinated by. And, and, and we're able to have the database for a lot of these guys' age. And the production that you're able to have at a young age and how that translates into how you are as a pro, not just overall, but especially right off the bat as a rookie, as a first-timer, I think there's definitely a correlation to that, you know, you look at guys like Derek Stingley, right? Some people don't really know what to do with Derek Stingley. I'm somebody who I have a lot of confidence in Derek Stingley. He's my cornerback one in this class, might end up being my number one overall player. Wow. Because I look at what he was able to do as a true freshman at that at LSU on that team, how dominant he was. And you look at the rest of his career, 2020. We now know the context of what was going on in the LSU program. It wasn't focused. It was probably chaotic behind the scenes, all that talent leaving. And then this past year, him playing injured, that freshman year tape is, I think, what matters most to me. And it's also why I'm super high on a guy like George Pickens from from Georgia, because, yeah, he didn't have most of this past year because of the ACL injury. But look how he was able to go from high school football to the SEC and immediately make an impact, immediately dominate in a lot of ways. And I think that age metrics is something that I'm very fascinated by. And I have for the last couple of years, we've got a really great database at PFF, which kind of tracks a lot of this stuff. And I definitely believe that there is a correlation to if you can succeed in college as a young player, as a freshman, as a sophomore, that means a lot. And that you should really take that into what you believe these guys can be early on in their NFL career and the potential that they have overall. Trevor Sikama, Pro Football Focus at Tampa Bay Trey. Trevor, thanks so much, man. This has been terrific. We need to get you back on before the draft at some point. Thanks yeah, so much. Please for the come. Time. That's a huge hit. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Anytime. Trevor Sikama. We're going to take a quick break, come back for our final segment. 
We're going to talk USFL. I'll be in Birmingham this weekend. Paul will be at home watching on television. We'll discuss the two different vantage points when we come back. This is Outkick 360 on the Outkick Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We made it. Final segment of the week here on OutKick 360. We made it to the weekend. And what a weekend it's going to be. I'll be headed down to Birmingham for the USFL kickoff. We will have OutKick the tailgate broadcasting live from Protective Stadium in Birmingham, Alabama tomorrow, 4.30 to 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 to 5.30 Central Time. And kickoff for week one of USFL, New Jersey Generals versus Birmingham Stallions, 7.30 Eastern tomorrow night, Saturday, on Fox and NBC. Looking you really forward to this, Paul. Stay to watch the other three games on Sunday. I got to get back for church Sunday morning. Got got church responsibilities, so I'll be leaving Birmingham at five thirty a.m. on Sunday. I will be on Fox News tomorrow morning at five thirty a.m. as well. So a couple four fifteen a.m. wake up calls for Is that me. Central or this East? weekend? That's five thirty Central, five thirty yeah. Birmingham. Time. I won't be saying that. Yeah, six thirty. So going to be a little bit early. But Paul, we get two different perspectives of this over the weekend. I'll, I'll be there. Um, they've sold tickets to people in all 50 states for this first game. But this is very much a television production, right? This is a made-for-TV league to give football to people that love football, and we love football in America in the spring, and there's going to be a lot of innovations with that. So you get to watch the television product. I'll be there in the stadium. Yeah, I'm very curious to see all the, all the innovations for the TV broadcast. The drone footage, the cameras on player helmets, the uh, Mr. Ewart, who was a guest of ours earlier, uh, invading sideline conversations, uh, interviewing players. That's Ewart to those who use their H's, the by the way, instead of Ewart. <laughs> like a H is uh, it's a wasted letter. For those that believe in the letter H. Um, it, it will be very interesting to see all of these things that they allow us. I think it'll set many of us dreaming about the, such invasive, allowed invasive things at the NFL level, at the college level. Um, and curious to see the, the level of play, the quality of play, the coaching decisions in terms of these two point three point conversion opportunities and things like that. Um, uh, uh, it should be a good telecast, and uh, I, I think it'll leave us with a lot to, to talk about. Yeah, I, I'm curious to see in the stadium, uh, stadium operations, obviously, what the fans, uh, where people are coming from to watch it. You know, is it, it's, I think it's going to be a Birmingham-dominated audience, people locally, uh, but I'm curious to see how that works. Are people going to go back week after week in that Birmingham market with all the games being there, one of two stadiums, Legion Field? also hosting games. So looking forward to all of that and seeing the cross-section of people that are going to come out to watch these games. And I think, Paul, a big part of it for me is we know that the access given to this league isn't going to translate to the NFL and college football because they're not going to be allowed that access. But do you get a sliver of that? Do you get maybe a small foot in the door 
with a little bit more access? And also, just how entertaining is it going to be? Right? We don't really know. I mean, we could go into some locker rooms at halftime where they're going to have cameras in the locker room, and it's going to be great. And other times, we're going to be watching and thinking, man, I'd rather be watching the halftime show. And what do they have with that, right? Or whatever the halftime analysis is from someone. So the trial and error part of it and just the ability to innovate and see what should be done is going to be fun. Well, do these coaches ham it up a little bit? I mean, Jeff Fisher's not going to have a halftime conversation um, th- with cameras on him that is, uh, doesn't have a little extra to it um, because he, he knows how to play to that. Uh, do these other guys, uh, you know, are, are, are they thinking about that? Are they thinking about the entertainment value of, of it? Because that's that's part of it, and and look, they're selling it. It's like you said, it's a TV show, uh, in addition to being a sporting event. And um, I, I think the smart people uh, involved in it will will be thinking of it along both both lines. You can you can put your all into it as a football team and a football coach, and layer in some of that other stuff at the same time. I don't see a single coach in this league that's not going to ham it up, based on personality type of all the guys that we know that are here well and I think that's part of the process when they're talking you know to the coaches hey we want this to be a television product that's entertaining so lighten up you know be able to uh, Brock Heward who's going to be on the sideline that we talked to mix it up with Brock on the sideline not just during a halftime interview but in game they're going to have the ability to talk you've got Mike Pereira talking through the process as he goes through not as a television analyst but the official officiating process, right? He's going to be talking through that in his war room in Los Angeles, watching that. I'm fascinated to see all these different elements. What's the forecast? Uh, 80% chance of rain? Yep. 90% chance? We will be be inside for Outkick the Tailgate, inside the stadium with a roof over us uh, for that broadcast. And I hear you might be in a suite. Could be be some rain. Taking in the game. Rumors have it that I have been gifted digitally uh, a suite pass. Has Jill... Or will Jill be uh, with Jill the Savage, my co-host? I haven't asked her yet. Jill's be been great. quiet on it. If you got the sweet perspective and she got the perspective of in the stands, I, that I, would I, be I, my that's suggestion. How, I'm going to pitch it to her that way on the show. I'm pitching. I, it I feel to like her I now. should take one for the team and get the sweet perspective. Yeah, and she you should, sit amongst the public in the stands and, and give us that perspective. Share two different perspectives. We are out of here for this week. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our entire crew here for making everything happen. Spend the weekend not blocking the box and locking your locks. <laughs>